All right, well, good morning, Midtown. Good to see you guys this morning. Thanks for braving the very cold weather. I know I've not met everyone yet, but my name's Justin. I'm the associate pastor here. Uh, again, just want to thank you for joining us on this New Year's Eve. You're starting your New Year's Eve right, so that's a, that's a good way to start, by worshiping together. I know the cold is coming for us. Um, want to give a couple uh, welcomes. Uh, first, I have to, a couple acknowledgments. Uh, Jason already did so, but I want to acknowledge and thank all the women who did dress Sember. I heard $21,000 raised, and I did hear Blake earlier saying she's so glad not to be wearing a dress tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, so if you don't know, a lot of our women wore dresses the whole month of December to raise funds and awareness for uh, human trafficking, so we thank them. And while he's already standing, I'll acknowledge Rob Walton as our fantasy football winner of our, one of our church leagues. He beat me in the Super Bowl. Not cool but his was the best team by far. Uh, seriously, though, I want to thank any uh, or acknowledge any visitors that are here. If you're visiting for the first time, we're really glad that you're here, uh, particularly if you are friends or family of, of people. Maybe you're visiting some, some of your family members here in Austin. They have drug you here, such is the case for me. I've got Brenda's mom and brothers and their families here, so excited to have them. Um, and I hope that you guys had a great holidays and maybe even continue some family time this weekend. Um, I want to ask one more thing is the connection cards. Sometime during the service, it would be great if you'd fill out those connection cards. It um, helps us stay connected with you. If you've been following with us through this month of December, we've been doing a series kind of during Advent or the five weeks leading up to Christmas called um, O Come Let Us Adore Him. And I'm really excited that next week we're going to start a new series in Malachi, which is an Old Testament prophet, the last book of the Old Testament. So it's going to be really fun for us to go for about six weeks leading into spring break where we're going to look at this book of Malachi. I bet a lot of us haven't read Malachi, so it'll be fun for us to do together. Um, so today's like a one-off sermon, and Jake said, you get to talk about whatever you want. And so I chose to try to fix something that was somewhat related to resolutions. I mean, it is New Year's Eve, and maybe you're a resolutions type of person. And so I'm calling it First Things First. We're going to look at a book, uh, uh, the first chapter of Haggai, um, which I think it tells us a lot about how we can make God our first priority in this coming year. But I do want to ask, like, how, how many of you guys actually make resolutions? How many of you are, like, resolutions people? You can raise your hands. How many of you aren't? Like, you're kind of like me. I don't do, oh, wow. Majority don't. Well, I thought it might be fun to look at some of last year's resolutions via Twitter. These are some of the best kind of resolutions that I found last year. One says, I'd love to, ha I'd love to say, quote, new year, new me, but I'm only two stamps away from a free meal with my KFC loyalty card. So it'd be silly to ruin that now. Or maybe this one. My resolution is to work on my low self-esteem, but I don't think I can do it. <laughs> or forgot to make resolutions? Just write out everything you did last night, and at the beginning, add the word stop. <laughs> Hopefully that's none of our cases. Uh, make a handful of people believe I'm normal before blindsiding them with my actual personality. Uh, uh, resolution to worry less, and then, and then fill that time with, oh gosh, what am I supposed to fill that time with? This is already going terrible. This is a good one, uh, new resolution, start a new business, start a gym named Resolution that runs for the first month of the year, collects all membership fees, then convert the gym to a bar named Regret. <laughs> pretty good idea, maybe, some money in that. One says, don't spend as much time sitting on the toilet playing with my phone once I'm already done. You know who you are, it's a good resolution. Next resolution, to be more assertive, if that's okay with you guys. And finally, this New Year's resolution last year, exercise my right to eat more tacos. So those are some good ones, right? So feel free to pull from those, those of you who make them, those of you who don't. Either way, we can agree that it is kind of a good time of year to actually reflect back on the year. 
whether you call them resolutions or not, um, kind of the turning of a calendar is a good chance just to assess where you're at and, and maybe ask the question like, is there anything that I want to change in my life? And I hope that as we go through this message today, we can assess uh, together and that God will speak to you. I'm going to read the whole first chapter of Haggai, and then we're going to look through it a little bit together bit by bit. So here's Haggai 1. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the month, oh, wait a second, I wanted to give you all some, some history on this first. My bad. This is very important because it's context, right? So uh, these are Haggai, Malachi, Zechariah, are what's called the post-exile prophets. So they wrote after the time, if you know the kind of history of Israel, Israel at, at, after Solomon split into what was called Israel and Judah. So 10 tribes of Israel became known as Israel and two became known as Judah. And the Syrians came in and, and they wiped out Israel and kind of dispersed them throughout all the different parts of the world at that time. And then 100 or so years later, about 150 years later, the Babylonians came in and they actually destroyed Judah and they were kind of conquering the whole region at that time. And there was a dispersion of all the Jews under their leadership. And then uh, years and years later, the Persian Empire came and, and wiped out the Babylonian Empire. And so that post-exilic period starts with this whole Persian Empire. So there's the Persians that were ruling all of the world at that time. And the one thing that was different from the Babylonian rule over all the Jewish people to the Persians is the Persian kings actually gave favor to the Jews. And that's when you get to the book of Ezra, where Ezra is told by the king of Persia that he's able to go rebuild the temple, something they weren't allowed to do under the Babylonians. And so there's this, this kind of mass group of Jewish people who go back to Jerusalem and start rebuilding the temple. And this is where we're going to pick up here in a minute. And so they're, they're rebuilding the temple. And you can see in Nehemiah, they also get favor. Nehemiah gets favor years later to go build the wall around Jerusalem. So this is like the post-exile period where Jews that were scattered across are now given freedom to come back to Jerusalem. And in Ezra, they actually start rebuilding the, the temple. But in chapter 4 of, of Ezra, you find that there is faced opposition. So they're all gathered together rebuilding this wall, but the nations come against them and complaints come against them. People get discouraged. They start to doubt and actually stop building the wall. So think about it kind of in the lines of resolutions, right? So you intend to do something. We're like, we're coming here to rebuild this temple. This is what our aim is. But what are the things that can kind of set us back? I think about a couple of different things that are our normal setbacks from anything that we resolve to do. One would be like distraction, right? You just kind of get distracted. You get focused on other things. One might be discouragement. It's hard, whatever you're trying to do, and you're just like, man, I, I just get, I don't think I can do it. Maybe the other's doubt. You get halfway into it, and you start to think, maybe this really can't happen. Or maybe there's what I'll call defiance, or you actually have a, a physical or spiritual enemy that's coming against you and, and, and op giving you opposition. All of those things are the type of things that can make us stop doing what we've resolved to do, right? Well, the same is true for them. They're, they're, they're building this wall, and they start to face discouragement and doubt, defiance from this other nations that's telling them that they can't build a wall. And then you get to this really sad verse in Ezra 4 that says that they stopped. The house of God in Jerusalem came to, I love that word, standstill. It was just a standstill until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. So remember that, second year of Darius, king of Persia. Now we'll pick up with Haggai. Here's what Haggai says. Again, in the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai, to Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. The people say, the time has yet not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came to Haggai. Is it time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains in ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You've planted much but harvested little. 
You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages and put them in purses with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty? Because of my house, which remains in ruins, while each of you are busy with your own house. Therefore, because the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops, I've called a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, on the new wine and the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces, on people and livestock, and on all your labor of your hands. Well, then Zerubbabel, son of Shittiel, and Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message that they heard from the prophet Haggai. But the Lord their God, they had, because the Lord their God had sent him, and then all the people feared the Lord, and Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message to the Lord for the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So he stirred up in the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shetiel, and governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Jehozadak, and the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of people. And they came and began work on the house of the Lord Almighty their God on the 24th day of the sixth month. Let me pray. God, we thank you for uh, your word and this moment in history that we can look back on and see the way you responded and worked with your people. Uh, give us careful thought to think about how you treat us the same and would call us to do similar things in our day. We ask, Lord, that your word would, would be understood and that your spirit would be active in each individual heart uh, today, speaking to them whatever it is that, that you know you need to speak. In Jesus' name, amen. The first point I'll call, I kind of made these a little bit funny, but I'll call it excuses, excuses. Go back and read again what happened. It says that in the second year of Darius, in the first day of the month, so this was exactly where they said that the work stopped, and Ezra said the work stopped until the second year of Darius. Now under Darius, Haggai comes with this word, and this word is says, God says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. The people say the time has not yet come. So you've got kind of the people's voice, and then later we're going to see what God's voice is. So what's the people's voice? The people's voice is the time has not yet come. Now, if we go back in context and we read Ezra, we know the real reason why they stopped was because they were facing the doubt and discouragement and the opposition. That's a real reason why they stopped. But now God's saying they actually have created a new reason. They've made an excuse to say, well, it's just, it's just not time. The timing's not right for us to do this, when really they've come to a standstill. You ever do that with time? Like, like time's kind of what we do, like, well, I just don't really have time to do that. Time is like one of our favorite excuses that we can make. And here they're making that exact same excuse. But we know what the real reason was. And what's particularly tricky about this is if we continue to deny what God might be calling us to do time and time again, it can go from kind of a, I agree that I should do it, but I haven't, to slowly morphing into like a hardening of heart where now I don't even hear God's voice or I'm not even interested in doing what he's asked, to where then what I would call, perhaps they're doing here, is they theologize their disobedience. So now they've got some framework that says, oh, well, it's just not time. It's not time for me to do that. We've, I picture him saying to Haggai, like, well, we've prayed about it. We've really sought the Lord on this, and we think that it's just not time for us to continue working on the temple. You feel that? Like, we're all prone to do the same things. 
I'll try to think of a few examples, and I want to say from the outset that I don't know whatever God's calling you to do. So I'm just giving some examples of how this could possibly be played out in someone's life, depending on what God's called someone to do. But I think about a person maybe who whose friends have encouraged them, felt like God has told them, like, hey, man, you need to go get some counseling. We'll, we'll help you pay for it or do whatever. And, and the person might say, well, I don't really feel like that's something I'm supposed to do. It's, it sounds like it's too hard, and I'm not sure that I have the time to do that, and, and it's really expensive, so I think, like, stewardship-wise of my time and my money, I shouldn't do that. And we, we go from God sensing, giving us to call to something, to hardening our hearts, to maybe even theologizing our disobedience. Or maybe you felt the call like to really get involved in community, not just come to church on a Sunday, but, but plug into what we call midtown communities or plug into what we call huddles to be in closer relationship, to be known and to know others, to be discipled. But you think, well, that's just too hard or I don't really have enough time. I'd have to drive all the way across town and, and really I've got some other friends and I can listen to podcasts and do some learning and stuff other ways. And you, you go from sensing God calling you to something to harden your heart to theologizing your disobedience. Or maybe you know, like, you, you really want to spend more time with God, and you know that you feel like you should be reading your Bible or praying or setting aside time for that, but time after time, you, you end up not doing it, and so pretty soon your heart just hardens to it, and you start to theologize your way around not doing that. Or maybe, like, we really emphasize in Midtown, we emphasize that you should know your neighbors and your classmates. Like, as Christians, we should be light and salt. We should be investing in the people around us and caring for them. But maybe you think, well, I just don't really have time, and um, my heart just becomes hard to it, and I, I don't want to do that. Maybe even say, well, I'm pretty sure that my friends aren't really interested in God, so I don't really want to have those conversations. And what have you done? You've, you've theologized your disobedience. We see this time and time again in our own lives, if we're honest, and we're seeing it here in this passage. When you think about the issue of time, uh, isn't that like one of our easiest excuses I know one phrase that I've, I've personally tried to eliminate. I got kind of convicted about it. I've tried to eliminate the phrase, I didn't, I didn't have time for that. And instead, I try to say, I didn't make time for that because I recognize, like, it's really not true to say I didn't have time for that. What, what, what really I'm saying when I say that is that wasn't a priority for me. And it could be for good reasons. Like, it's okay to have good reasons to say I didn't have time for that or I didn't make time for that because, really, I had another priority. This thing was more important, so I, I didn't make time to do this. If you think about it, like, time is one of the greatest measures of our priorities. And here you've got a people saying, well, it's not yet time for us to, to build the temple. We've got to, what, build our own houses, which then is what God says to them. What God says is, well, you sure have time to build your own houses, right? There you're building your own houses. And I love that he phrases it first as a question. He says, do you have time to build your own houses? He's, he's investing in them and, and helping them Think about where they're at. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But I love this imagery, particularly in this case of like a house to house. This is like two tangible things. Like here you are trying to put paneled on your own houses and focused on building your own stuff when, when he says, my house has remained in ruins. We shouldn't get lost on this imagery that there's this, this idea of people selfishly doing their own thing, trying to manage their own world and care for themselves more than they did what they actually set out to do when they left Persia they left the Persian Empire to go rebuild this temple, and they got discouraged along the way. And we'll find out later, it was 16 years before they start building on it. So for 16 years, there was a standstill because they just said, I don't have enough time. And reality was they were actually spending more time doing their own things. 
We could probably list a hundred different things in our own lives, if we're honest, that are the things that maybe stand in the way, that, that bump up and down, maybe times when they become priority over God, and maybe we do some things to arrange and get God back, but then subtly slip back into it. We're all prone to that. I think of three major areas, if it might help you think about it in your own life. I think about career and classes. We don't have many students with us like normal, given the, given the break, but our careers and our classes, they can just become idols in our lives where we, we make them our highest priority. We're wanting to get the next promotion or the next raise, or career and classes can actually kind of also be about money, trying to get to the next place, next place, next place. I've got to get all A's. I've got to do everything great in my classes, and they can become a priority. Or I think about family and relationships. You can even prioritize a spouse over God. You can prioritize boyfriends, girlfriends, friendships. You can certainly prioritize kids over God. Big areas that we can do the same, working on our own paneled houses, so to speak, and neglecting God's house. Or just pleasures and entertainment, just the the pleasures and entertainment of this world that we can set aside time, and God might look at us and say, well, you sure had time for all these things, yet my house remains in ruin. So God challenges them with a question, what are your priorities? In application to this first point, I'd just like to ask you a few questions, maybe even give you a minute to think about it. What is God calling you to do this next new year? And if you're honest, if you can, what, what excuses are you making about why you can't do it? Or what are you making time for that's not allowing you to make the time that it will take for whatever God's calling you to do? The next point I'll call stealing a line from Dr. Phil. How's that working for you? How's that working for you? Let's read the, read the passage here. Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You've planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you're not warm. You earn wages only to put them in purses with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring down timber for my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord Almighty. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord, because of my house which remains in ruin while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and mountains on the grain and new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces on the people and the livestock and all the labor from your hands. I love Dr. Phil's question, and I love the posture of God in this moment. He's, he's basically asking, how's it working for you? How's that working? Give careful thought to your ways. And real specifically to them, he's pointing out like all this stuff that you're, you're trying to do, you're trying to make money, you're trying to produce crops, you're trying to do all these things, you're trying to get clothes to stay warm, none of it's working. None of it's working. And that's the way that God has set things up. But I love most of all that he's so gentle with us, that he would invite us in to just give careful thought to our ways. In the first verses that we read, he started by asking a question, and now he's saying, just give thought to your ways. Think about how this is working for you. God's clear about what he wants us to do. He says, I want you to go up to the mountains and bring down timber and start building my house. But his invitation is just to give careful thought to your ways. Think about it. How's this working for you? How's it work when you, when you put yourself as a priority over God? How's it work when you're trying to do everything to maintain your own security of your own household, yet you've neglected the house of God? Was well, questioner, the answer is that it's not working. 
It's not working for them, right? They were focused on meeting their own needs, but they weren't being met. And this is just very simply the fact of how the kingdom of God works. That God has arranged this world in a way where he is to get the worship. And when he is our greatest priority, when he is number one in our lives, everything else can come into alignment. And we do the thing that we all do, and we start putting other things above God, things start to not work. Because God wants to be the prominent one in our lives, and it's the way that he set things up in his kingdom. So if your career, your classes, your family, your relationships, your pleasures, your entertainment become a priority over God, God's going to find a way to make that empty. He's going to show you that it's not working. And what might feel like judgment is actually God's greatest mercy because he's getting your attention. I love the way that Jesus spoke about this to his disciples in one of his famous uh, sermons, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6. He, he sa- tells them, like, don't store up treasures on earth where moth and rust can destroy. Don't focus on these things of the earth, but instead store up treasures in heaven where, where nothing can destroy them. He's talking to them just after that, talking about where your treasure is, uh, there your heart will be also, telling them to direct their heart toward godly things and not earthly possessions. And then speaking about like food and clothing He starts to tell them, hey, don't worry about those things because God's going to provide for you. God clothes the fields. He takes care of the birds. He's going to take care of you. And he ends that teaching with with this great reminder. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. I could see the people in their day thinking, well, we hear you, Haggai, but just let us finish our own houses. We're so close. Like, I promise, like a month away, once I get the sink in, that's it. That's the last project, right? <laughs> Can you not relate with that? Have you done that before with God where you know that God's putting something in your heart and you say, I'm going to do that, but, but first I need to get this done. And once, once this thing happens, then I'm ready to go. I'll do it. But if you're like me, you know that what happens is that one thing, you, you either never finish it <laughs> or you get past it, and then there's another one thing that vies for your attention. You say, oh, well, I promise I'm going to do that, but first I just need to get this thing settled. That's exactly what they're doing, exactly what we're prone to do when we're honest. And so what God will do, even if it sounds harsh in the the way that he said, I'm going to bring a drought upon you guys, what seems like judgment is actually God's mercy to get their attention. Can you relate to that? Can you think of a time in your life where something felt like maybe judgment at the time? But afterward, you can look back on it and see just God's incredible mercy that he used it to get your attention and draw you back to him, to realign your life with a kingdom being first in your life. About uh, four weeks ago, December 7th, um, I got to go to Dallas uh, to be part of a ceremony that my dad was a part of where he got his 10-year sobriety chip. Uh, My my dad, about 10 years ago, uh, was driving home and got pulled over for drunk driving and got put in jail. I'd been alcoholic kind of all of our lives. When he got put in jail, um, he said that was his, that was his uh, low point. That was his moment where he's like, okay, this is it. And it was fun to hear him at his 10-year celebration to get to share his testimony for about 20 minutes in front of the whole crowd. And that's what he describes. It's like, that was it. Was that God's judgment? It's not the way he sees it. It was absolutely God's mercy. Because God's going to ask the question to my dad, like he did in that jail cell. God spoke to his heart and said, Give careful thought to your ways. He asked, how's it working for you? And that was enough. And by God's grace, he 
grabbed my dad's heart and he got involved in Celebrate Recovery and has, has been walking with God for the last 10 years since then. God saves us in those moments. Let me give you some application questions to this point. How have you been focusing on taking yourself, taking care of yourself over your priority of worshiping God? What specifically have you prioritized above God? And then God asks us and invites us into the same question. How's that working for you? Last point we get to is what I'll call for the sake of New Year's Eve, the resolution. This is what's amazing, what happens and how they respond. It says, Then Zerubbabel, son of Shetiel, Joshua, son of a jo- jo- I should have practiced this much more. <laughs> Josadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai because the Lord, because the Lord their God had sent him. So they recognized, they obeyed, and they recognized that Haggai was sent from God. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message to the Lord's people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shetiel, and the governor of Judah, and the spirit of uh, Joshua, uh, son of Josadak, and the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord Almighty their God on the 24th day of the sixth month. This is what's amazing. Like you can read uh, the rest of the prophets and most of the prophets that you'll read in the Old Testament, no one listens to them. But here you get this awesome example of Haggai coming with a word from the Lord and they receive it. And they're like, go start doing what, what God asked them to do. Super rare, not just in the Bible, but if we're honest, like super rare for us. When we hear God speak, particularly maybe if God uses someone else to challenge you on something in your life, for us to say, I think you have a point, you're right, I need to, I need to repent. Now, we don't know what they did. We know that there were 16 years of waiting, 16 years standstill on the temple, and there were 23 days of waiting which I think during those 23 days, they were doing what God said, give careful thought to your ways. I don't know if they were having different meetings or talking about it or families having conversations, but whatever it was, there was 23 days from when, when Haggai brought the word to when they actually said, you're right, we're going to start working on it. So just in a matter of a few weeks, they responded. I love that we have seasonal times like this for careful consideration. Uh, some of you know that last year when we did a 21-day fast together, it was one of the highlights, many of you would say, of your spiritual walk during this last year. We're going to do that again in like mid-February to the first week in March, which is going to be really exciting. We've already got the 21-day uh, prayer guide put together, and it's going to be a great way for us again to, to have maybe a set period where we actually give careful thought to our ways. It's the spirit of the idea of Lent that many of our liturgical churches and friends participate in. It's this idea of saying, hey, let's set aside some time to give careful thought. And whatever they did, they did this for 23 days and then said, yes, let's do it. But what was it that made them respond this way? I think there's at least one thing that's most important. They recognized that it was the voice of the Lord. Now, it was the voice of Haggai, right? But they recognized it as the voice of the Lord. And if we're to do anything and respond and maybe have someone challenge us or hear something on a Sunday morning or a one-on-one friendship or from your husband or wife, for us to be able to respond in repentance, we first have to be convinced that it's the word from the Lord. And I don't know about you, but there are a number of times in my life, more than I can count, where I know that God was saying something to me and I had to respond to it. I'll give you a negative example first. Uh, Just uh, two days ago, I was on the phone with a guy who led me to faith in Jesus uh, like many, many years ago, 40 years ago or so. No, 
30 years ago. I'm not that old. <clears throat> 30 years ago led me to faith in Christ, and he discipled me for several years through high school. And there was one time about a year into my, my walk with God when I started dating someone that I probably shouldn't have. She wasn't as serious about her faith as I was. And so the guy that was ministering to me pulled me aside and said, hey, Justin, I want to challenge you on this relationship. I don't think this is good for you spiritually. I don't think you guys should be dating. And at the time, I, I, I just said, no, I know what I'm doing. Thanks, thanks, for, your, thanks for your thoughts. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. Thankfully, God in his providence, like we see here, he, he messed things up and we broke up. And sure enough, a few months later, this girl gets pregnant with the next guy that she was dating. And I look back at it now and say, oh, maybe I should have listened to my, to my guy who loved me. I think of another example um, where, where I was in a relationship with someone years and years ago. Um, and my pastor at the time, Rob Harrell, which I'm, I'm very excited, by the way, my, my old pastor, Rob Harrell, is going to be teaching here on Sunday when we have our men's retreat. So you guys are going to love Rob. He's awesome. He's already ministered to our staff, staff team several times and come and met with us, which is great. Um, Rob, one time when I was describing some, some stuff that was happening in a relationship, he just looked at me right now and was like, you guys need to break up. And it was like, I was like, oh man, <laughs> like, you're right. That's God's voice. And, and I did it. So maybe I learned <laughs> over the next, next 10 years or so to listen when someone challenges me like that. I think of an example that I can't give the details on, same guy with Rob Harrell, um, where I was in a situation with someone where, there, where I was kind of bitter toward something that someone did, and I was basically going to Rob to say, like, how can I forgive this person? And, and he said, you're the one that needs to ask for forgiveness. I was like, oh, man, you're right. And I went back to the person and said, I'm wrong. You're right. Please forgive me. And the relationship was restored. I think of an example in this church that I can't give the details, even within the last few, about, about six, uh, four months ago, met with a person, I'm doing my best to be genderless here, a person in our church um, to, to kind of confront them and, and, and challenge them on something that, that was going on in their life. And to my joy, they said, you're right. I'm going to stop doing that. And they have. I mean, that's when you know, like, it's the voice of the Lord, and, and you say, yes, I'm going to do what God said. That's why I create these spaces for us to hear God's voice. On a Sunday morning, a place like this, we trust that just with a pro public proclamation of the word, you guys know Jake and I aren't the, the greatest teachers, but we know that the, the Holy Spirit is, is active among us, and just the proclamation and the, the effort to be faithful to the word, that God's going to speak, even as he is in your hearts now. That's why we have midtown communities and huddles so that we can look at the scriptures together and give ourselves a chance to say, is God saying anything to me through this? And that's why it's so important that we individually spend time with God, that we, that we look at the scriptures and we pray and we give God a chance. I like to say to not just read the Bible, but let the Bible read us. Like give ourselves a chance to say, what is it, God, that, that you have for me? And be willing to hear his voice. And once we're convinced it's his voice, then we say yes in closing, what I, what I love most is after they say yes, what does God do? He promises that he'll be with them. He says, then Haggai came back with the Lord's message, and the message was real simple. I am with you. And then it says the Lord stirred the spirits of Zerubbabel and Joshua and the whole remnant. I love this about God. When he speaks to us and we respond in confession and repentance, and we, we change our ways and make him more of a priority again, he doesn't make us do it alone. He says, I'm with you. Like, I'm going to be with you in this. And not only that, I'm going to give you the strength to do it. And I bet that 
as is true with us, was probably true with them, that they probably started working on the temple again. We don't know the whole rest of the story except that it was completed if you go read the rest of Ezra. But they were still facing the discouragement. They still had the doubts. They still had the defiance. They still had people coming against them. But what was the difference? The difference was they knew they'd heard the voice of the Lord and they knew that God was with them, that he was going to give them strength to do what he had called them to do. And just like many of us, we might make a resolution or say, hey, I'm going to make God a priority in this way in my life, and we're probably not going to do it all right all the time. But the invitation is always the same, just to come back and confess and, and ask for God's forgiveness, rejoice in the grace that we've already begun in Christ, that we're completely forgiven, and then lean on Him to be with us and give us strength to take the next step and get back going again. That's what God promised to these people. And He didn't just promise that He would be with them, I think it's really cool to note that he promised that God's people would be with him. I love that it says he stirred up the whole remnant. What's unique about this repentance, it's like group repentance. Isn't that wild? So it wasn't just Zerubbabel and Joshua. It says that there was this whole remnant, that there was a group of people who said, hey, we're going to walk this out together. And now what God provides is not just his spirit and his strength. He provides brothers and sisters in Christ to help us, to walk with us, to encourage us, and to do the work side by side, right alongside of us. That's why we need each other if we're going to keep any sort of resolution that we might make or any sort of way that we're trying to prioritize God. We've got to talk to each other about it and say, hey, brother, will you help me do this because I can't do it alone. God promises his presence. He promises his strength, and he gives us brothers and sisters to help us do the things that he's called us to do. So an application to this point, I just ask, is there anything that God's recently spoken to you personally or through another person, maybe, maybe even today? And have you given careful thought about whether it's from the Lord? Is it the voice of the Lord? And then are you willing to make a, quote, resolution? You don't have to call it that. Are you willing to make a resolution in obedience? This is the invitation that Haggai gave to the people in his day, and it's still the invitation that God gives to us. We're going to close today by having communion, celebrating communion together. And one of the ways that Paul, when he was describing to the first Corinthians about communion... He was telling them how they were supposed to take it. And he used this phrase. He says, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink from the cup. He's given the invitation to the Corinthians that, that God had already given to the Israelites and through Haggai. The invitation is, examine your hearts. And so we hope that during this time of communion, we're going we're gonna to have a worship set where we'll play about three songs. And any time during those three songs, you're welcome to come forward or in the back and take the cup and the bread and taking your own time and space. Uh, you have an open communion here, so anyone who's put their faith in, in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins is welcome to take communion. If you've not yet done that and you're really seeking, and we just encourage you to, to use this time to, to consider the gospel and consider that Jesus can forgive your sins. So anytime during uh, communion can do that and would really invite you to give careful thought to your ways, or as Paul would say, to examine yourselves. Let's pray. God, we ask this next moments of worship that we have together that you would speak to our hearts, that we would hear from you. So we, we invite you to speak as we examine our hearts and give careful thought to our ways. We thank you that you promised to be with us and that our coming to you and confession and repentance is always welcome. We're going to sing about that even now and as we do let those truths come home to our heart, that you'll be with us to strengthen us to do whatever you're calling us to do right now. 
In Jesus' name, amen.